Hello! And welcome to Plantiful Kitchen, the podcast where we talk about cooking delicious and healthy plant-based food. I'm Kevin. I'm a software engineer, cat dad, and really good at Scrabble. And I'm Courtney, a food blogger, vocal pedagogue, and I found my cat in a liquor store. Let's Let's get get cooking! Sometimes you go out for a bottle of gin and you come back with a cat. So, you were in Europe for a long time. I was. Did you eat any particularly delicious vegan food? I did. You know, I was expecting it to be pretty rough in terms of vegan food. And some places it it was a little bit, but it could have been just because I didn't know where to go. But other places it was really, really good. So... Uh, we went to, well, we had to cut our trip short. Uh, we couldn't go to France and we couldn't go to Copenhagen. And we were supposed to go to Denmark also. Oh, okay. So we couldn't go to France and we couldn't go to Denmark and we couldn't go to a couple of the cities in Germany that we were supposed to go to mm-hmm. because we had to come back early because of the Rona. <laughs> the Rona. And so, but the food was, was really delicious. There were... Um, a couple of highlights. One was staying in the vegan suite at the Hilton Bankside in London. So fancy. Which was so cool. Yeah, that was Will's Valentine's Day, belated Valentine's Day treat to me. Mm. Um, it was really nice. It was a one-bedroom suite in this hotel, and everything about it was vegan. The floor was unsustainable. So the floor was like sustainable bamboo. All of the cleaning products they used in there were vegan. They used special cleaning products in there that were made entirely vegan. And I don't know why they don't use them in the whole hotel. And also what cleaning products aren't vegan is what I want to know. I know bleach is tested on animals. Really? And a lot of um, Arm & Hammer products are too. Oh, that's but, sad. Yeah. That's so cool. That's like the most romantic thing ever. It was really cool. Sustainable flooring? <laughs> that's hot. And there were no <laughs> there were no feathers in any of the things uh-huh. in the bed. And um, there were cushions and the couch was made out of pineapple leather which was really cool yeah so that was fun and then um i think my favorite vegan food on the trip was in venice and venice is covered with tourists all of the time but that does mean that they know that some people that people want vegan food so they've figured out ways to do i guess what seems to be traditional Italian, northern Italian food, but Mm -hmm. vegan. Yeah. And so we went to this little um, vegan cafe in Venice. It was actually pretty far out of the way. It was near a little university that was there, and it was really far away from the touristy areas. And um, had lasagna and Mm. gnocchi and like a butter sauce. And um, it was carnival there. Oh, right. Which is really cool. And apparently they make little fried dough balls with pine nuts and raisins in them for Carnival. And so they had uh, vegan versions of that. Oh, fun. It was really a nice glass of wine. So it was the atmosphere was really great and the food was really good. Um, And it was a lot of it was really a lot of fun. So to like find vegan restaurants, did you have any resource you were using like did you use happy cow or was there one that was more european oriented no happy cow had a lot of really that's mainly what we used okay and then finding the word for vegan which is usually just vegan with like an e or an o or an a on it on the end of it (laughs) Um, and searching for that in like yelp or TripAdvisor for the area that you're in Uh uh-huh or just in in google okay 
Okay, yeah, that's that's a good idea. And then you can see like if they have vegan menu items. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a really great place in Germany that we went that had um, it was totally vegan also, and they had vegan schnitzel. So I had vegan schnitzel, which mm-hmm. was really delicious. Um, so that was nice. And a really cool thing that we went on. I kept seeing all of these food tours for different places, and I was wondering, God, wouldn't it be cool if there were a vegan food tour? So mm-hmm. I just Googled vegan food tour, and we found this company called veganfoodtours.com. <laughs> Shocking. First thing you find <laughs> on a Google search. And what they do is they get a local guide, and they take you around to different places that maybe you wouldn't end up at on your own. and. Um, help you order vegan food and get vegan food for you. So it was really fun. Aww, we did I that like that. In Lisbon, but they also did Spain. They did London. They did like a bunch of the major European cities. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was great. So good tips for people who are traveling. One of my friends had been vegan for like two years, and then she went to like mostly vegan, but sometimes vegetarian because she told me she travels a lot. And um, I hope that changes, you know, like I hope it's still an option for people to eat in a way that aligns with their ethics, no matter where they are in the world. And it seems like we're getting to that place. Definitely. In um, all of the places that we went are pretty major cities, and there were absolutely options. And a lot of the places, like in Milan, uh, right before the coronavirus outbreak, there I was. It was late at night, so and I was. Says. I'd been touristing all day, and I was like a big pain <laughs> in the ass. It's a verb. <laughs> touristing, yeah. And um, uh, I didn't want to go too far from the Airbnb to find a place, but there was a pizza place across the street, and they had a vegan option at that pizza place, which was wow, pretty good. So that was really fun, and I was really pleasantly surprised at how good the vegan food was and how many places offered vegan options. The sun is shining. It's still not very warm outside, but um, are there fresh things to be found at the farmer's market yet? Starting to be. Starting. Um, I was at the farmer's market on Saturday, Mm -hmm. and one of the places I went, they're actually really smart. They put all of their produce in the middle and then had a ring of tables outside it and you would ask the person who was working at the f- the produce stand to get the produce that you wanted for you and they were all wearing gloves and everything so that there was no like corona How contamination yeah yeah so there there are some fresh things not a ton of fresh things um one of those is radishes you can plant radishes really early hmm. and turnips um i don't know if they were are fresh or stored yeah but there were a lot of turnips there also a lot of radishes and lots of turnips what do you do with radishes and turnips well let's talk about it <laughs> You put them in tacos if Kevin's um, in charge. Yeah. So I, I got a couple of kinds of radishes and turnips last time. So that's why I'm, or on Saturday. So that's why I'm pairing them together is just because that's what I got on Saturday. Um, but they are both members of the same family, which is... Brassica? Brassica. Yes, I found it. <laughs> so uh, radishes and turnips are the same member of... The, are both members of the brassica family, which also includes cruciferous vegetables, which I didn't know really? that they were all related to each other. 
That's and fun. so uh, turnips have lots of fiber and they have dietary nitrates, which I think you talked about in a previous podcast. Yeah, I think about um, helping like de-inflame blood mm. vessels yeah. and heart health and all of that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And maybe Alzheimer's health or two. I can't remember, that but I'm, right. I'm sure you've talked about them before. Go back and listen to all of our previous exactly. episodes to figure <laughs> Rate, it out. Subscribe. <laughs> And so it's free. Uh, turnips are really delicious for you. There's all sorts of different shapes and sizes of turnips, and they look um, pretty ugly. They usually have roots attached, and they have like bumps, and maybe they're still a little dirty. But that's one of the things that I love about getting food at the farmer's market. It looks mm-hmm. like it came out of the ground. Mm. You know? Yeah. I don't know, especially turnips. I like turnips and root vegetables that are kind of kind of gross looking i was listening to a podcast i think it was rich roll's podcast um and he was interviewing uh an expert on longevity and this guy was saying like when you choose your fresh produce try to get the ones that look like they've been through hell and back (laughs) (laughs) interesting apparently if uh if fruits and veggies are grown in a way that isn't totally ideal like they kind of have to fend for themselves against extra sunlight and bugs and stuff like that they create more of those beneficial antioxidants because they're literally like fighting oxidation within themselves Mm -hmm. so when we eat that we get even more antioxidants than we would from like broccoli that was grown in an aquaponic system or something oh that's really interesting that's a really good point also Sometimes produce has been bred to be hearty and to look good rather than to have nutrition and to taste good. Yeah. Like red delicious apples, they look delicious. They taste like crap. It's a garbage apple. Red <laughs> and, disgusting apples. Yeah. And a lot of other fruits and stuff have been bred to have thick skin so that they can be shipped mm. for, or things like that and yeah. not be bruised. And So maybe there's something to that also. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, um, turnips are really good for you. You should eat them. Uh, radishes are good for you also. They have a lot of vitamin C. And they're mostly water, so they're, mm-hmm. a, good, they're a good diet food yeah. if you're trying to diet. Mm-hmm. You can eat yourself sick on turnips pretty much. Or radishes. And who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to think of what you could do with a turnip. So a turnip, you could do anything with a turnip that you would do with a potato. Okay. Because they're sort of a similar sort of starchy tuber. And um, you can roast them. Delicious. You can mash turnips, mix them in with your mashed potatoes. You can make a nice hash out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can put them in a stew. You can make a a gratin out of them if you you wanted to. Uh You could um, make like a potato pancake, like a latke. Oh, fun. Lucky, but with yeah. turnips. Yeah. So anything anything you could do with a um, potato, you could do with a turnip. They just have more flavor and are more delicious, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah. That's radishes, good to know. Radishes, you eat them raw. I love to eat them raw. They're, they're a little spicy, which is A little spicy, a little, like, sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pickle them. Yeah, I love to quick pickle radishes. Shave them. Yeah, just, like, put them in a bowl with some vinegar yeah. and a little sugar, if you want. Uh-huh. A little hot sauce. Delicious. What would you do with turnips or radishes? Well, while you were talking about mashing them in with your potatoes, I 
I was thinking that for a long time I've had this like kind of hatred of that idea because I'm so against like low carb dieting and the fear of starches and carbohydrates. But I have to say I'm trying like I actually think it's a really good idea to mash turnips or what's another one? Cauliflower people mash in Mm -hmm. with their mashed potatoes. Not because you're getting less calories or it's fewer carbs, but because it's a greater variety of vegetables. And that's always good. You get more fiber. Yeah. Um, And also turnips are delicious. So they will make your mashed potatoes. they add a good flavor, yeah. Yeah, they will make your mashed potatoes taste much, much better. Yeah, so I'm having to like... I'm with you there with the like potato carb fear yeah though like potatoes in and of themselves are not bad for you no. it's everything else that we do to them like deep fry them fill them with salt yes, and sugar exactly. and oil yeah yeah well speaking of turnips radishes and other vegetables today i decided to talk about boosting immune function with food uh you know right. because coronavirus right basically the two things i learned is that fruits and vegetables fresh fruits and vegetables boost immune function as do mushrooms so i'm going to briefly oh, cool. talk about the studies that demonstrate that so this is a quote um and i've linked the article that this quote is pulled from below and that article has um the source material directly underneath it. So you can find the study directly from there. Those who eat more fruits and vegetables appear to have a lower risk of getting an upper respiratory tract infection like the common cold, whether they're otherwise vegetarian or not. So in this case, it doesn't matter if you're vegan as long as you eat a lot of fruits and veggies. So a study looking at 1,000 women and their diets before and during pregnancy found that those who ate nine servings of fruits and veggies per day compared to four or five, those people had a moderate reduction in risk of upper respiratory tract infection during pregnancy, and this benefit appeared to be derived from both fruits and vegetables instead of either alone. That's, That's a lot of servings yeah. of fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Nine? I don't know that I get that much. Because a serving, like of leafy greens, one serving is a packed cup. Does that, like, all, so all we eat is fruits and vegetables right but does that this means more like unprocessed fruits well, and vegetables well we don't or, just eat fruits oh, and vegetables because right. we eat whole grains That's and right. legumes yeah but this is specifically talking about fruits and veggies yeah yeah that's a lot of nine serving i know which means i guess you have to kind of crowd out the calories from grains and legumes for this if if you don't have space right. <laughs> to hold all yeah, of that right. food eat your nine servings of fruits and vegetables first yeah, and then anything exactly. else yeah yeah in one famous study elderly individuals were randomized into groups that ate either five servings of fruit and veggies a day or two servings per day the five a day group showed an 80 percent improved antibody response to their pneumonia vaccination compared to the two a day group even though only about 30%, that's 12 out of 40 people, of the five-a-day group reached their target levels of servings, they still did six times better than the two-a-day group. So just trying to eat more fruits and vegetables made their um, 
their antibody response improve to to the vaccination. Um, But maybe eight, nine or 10 servings a day would have worked even better. So it's like a dose dependent response. Wow. And I feel like this is valuable if you have an at risk relative, you know, during this this epidemic it's crazy time maybe buy them go to the store and buy them some extra produce and if they don't know how to cook it you can help them figure that out yeah i think that's super important i mean it's hard to i there's no saying that any even if you did everything perfectly it would keep you from getting anything but all of these things like cancer prevention and immunity boosting things have been shown to help, so might as well try. It certainly can't hurt you. I mean, it's kind of like driving a car with your seatbelt on or biking with a helmet on. Like, you could still die if you got hit by a car, but you have a better chance of surviving with those safety precautions. So, yeah, it's not a guarantee, but it is something you can do to, like, help in an event of an emergency. So that's fruits and vegetables. And moving on to mushrooms, which is this one's kind of interesting. The majority of our exposure to the outside world does not actually come from our skin because our mucosal membranes are way bigger Hmm. compared to our skin. So um, mucosal membranes include... In addition to lots of other things, the lining of our mouths, our digestive tracts, and our urinary tracts. So what we're putting in our mouth has more of an effect on our exposure to the outside world than like our skin does. Wow. So to boost immunity in those areas of the body, the mucosal membranes, we need to boost IgA or our type A antibodies because they're kind of the first defense in the mucosal membranes against outside invaders. A study was conducted to see if mushrooms can raise IgA secretion. They compared two groups for one week, only one week. The control group continued eating their normal diet while the test group added cooked white button mushrooms to their diet every day. And by the way, white button mushrooms like considered the, you know, least exciting, cheapest, easiest to find. You can get those anywhere. Anywhere, At the end of the week, the test group saw a 50% spike in IgA, while the control group saw no change. IgA levels remained high for an additional week, even though the test group participants returned to their normal diets. To boost immune function from IgA and, I guess, the rest of our bodies, we need to be eating a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables, ideally nine servings a day. So try to find fresh produce in your local grocery store and eat it as much as you one can. One of them should be mushrooms. One of, and exactly. And make sure one of them is mushrooms. Did you buy a lot of dried beans for the apocalypse? Do you know how to cook them? <laughs> Courtney, did you? I'm gonna, for the sake of this, I'm gonna say no. I I'm just at a loss. <laughs> no idea what to do with these little rocks that are supposedly food. So you and I have cooked dried beans before. Yes. But dried beans seem like the kind of thing that you know you're supposed to buy if you're stocking up on food. Mm-hmm. And it can they can be a little hard 
to cook. Totally. If you don't know what you're doing. Yes. Especially if you expect them to be like rice where it cooks in 20 to 25 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Which I think the first time I uh, made them, I did expect them to cook in 25 minutes, which is not the case. No. I'm going to talk about how to best cook your dried beans. Great. And uh, so the first thing is... Uh, maybe you got an Instapot for Christmas. They were a very popular Christmas gift mm-hmm. this year. Instapot is great for cooking dried beans. You yes. do not have to pre-soak them if you don't want to. You can pre-soak them, mm-hmm. but you don't have to. And so if you have an Instapot, you can just find in the little instruction manual, I think they have the times for mm-hmm. how to do it. But put the beans in, cover them with a couple of inches of water. And then put some flavorings in the water. I like to use garlic, a bouillon cube, some peppercorns, and a bay leaf or two. Ooh, And yum. then pressure cook it. And it takes about, I don't know, 30 minutes at high pressure. Yeah. It takes a while for it to get up to high pressure. And then you want a slow release. So the whole process takes about... Um, about an, an hour. hour. Yeah. About an hour to cook it from dry, which, which isn't too bad. If you compare that to soaking it overnight and then cooking it on the stove for what two hours or so like you're saving yeah sometimes saving time so if you have thought ahead a little bit and you want to pre-soak your beans that helps shorten the cooking time so you there are a couple ways you can pre-soak it um and a lot of this comes from america's test kitchen which is my favorite resource <laughs> the thing that america's test kitchen does that's nice is they have the resources to do it every kind of way and test which one is the best way whereas i'm not going to make 17 different pots of dried beans to find out which way is the best way to do it i'm just i'm just not going to do it what they recommend is uh soaking overnight or if you can't soak overnight you bring your beans up to a boil in a pot of water and then turn it off and let it soak in that hot water turn it off and cover it and let it soak in that hot water for an hour so that's better than if you can't soak it overnight then that's a good way to do it also so is this without an instant pot without an instant okay. pot yeah so i guess i'll back up a little bit if you don't have an instant pot recommended to soak the beans first before you try and cook them otherwise mm-hmm. it'll take about two or three hours to cook the beans. The longer you soak them, the less time it will take Mm -hmm. to actually cook them in the pot on the stove. So also, I was doing a little research on the internet, and a lot of people were talking about when to salt the beans that you're going to be cooking. Some people say put the salt in at the beginning because it makes the outsides tender. And then some people say, no, don't put it in at the beginning. Put it in the middle because if it makes the outsides tender, then it makes the insides mealy when you cook it. Oh. But America's Test Kitchen tested all of these things. And what they recommend is when you're soaking your beans, soak them in brine rather than water. So what that does is it makes the outsides tender, adds some salt into the outsides, but the the outside of the skin of the bean prevents the salt from getting on the inside of the bean. And so the insides don't get mealy, but the outsides get tender and flavorful. Wow. Right? So you could do that with the Instant Pot too. Absolutely. If you just soak it overnight yeah, and then sure. do the shorter pressure cooking time so they Mm. with a pound of beans which is usually one of those regular bags Mm -hmm. they recommend three tablespoons of salt in four quarts of water for one pound of beans soak it overnight eight hours to 12 hours or whatever and then rinse them and drain them Mm -hmm. and then cook them as usual in your instapot or in your pot of on your pot on the stove 
And so you'll have delicious tender beans. And honestly, they taste way better than canned beans. Oh, yeah. Like, by far. Totally. If you've never tried it, the you texture try is it. so much better, too. The texture is fantastic. You can flavor the water that they're cooking in. Mm-hmm. So it just tastes good. And they also have like a, a natural bean flavor yeah. that you don't get as much in the in the canned beans. Let's talk about how you can be a little bit more plant-based even during the apocalypse. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, my idea was to take a cooking class online. Ideally, a plant-based cooking class. That's so cool. You can order, like you were saying, you can order the ingredients from a food delivery service and um and yeah you'll get fresh food while you're at home and you'll get some like you'll get some socialization (laughs) and mental stimulation without leaving the house yeah i'm desperate to see people (laughs) i didn't it was just me and will all week which is great but yeah it takes a toll for sure Uh, yeah, so I took a um, an online Indian class from Amma's Cooking Co., and I'll put that in the, the episode description. It was really fun. She was lovely. She, like, explained where in India she grew up and kind of what their food is like compared to the rest of India and how their state, like, their culinary... Their um their cuisine is not represented in most Indian restaurants, oh, so you kind of have well, to India's like. India's a huge place. Yeah, right. And we're only really type familiar with like one type of Indian yeah. food, so that makes complete sense. Yeah, so it's fun to, um, yeah, it's just fun to learn things and try different different kinds of food. And it was only like half an hour and pretty affordable. So I'm not saying go to that website and take one of those classes, but things like that exist. They're affordable and um, it'd be a fun thing to do while you're stuck at home. Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea. How did it work with it being online and her like telling when the onions are done or that sort of thing? Because she can't look at the food. Um. So she had a webcam set up, and uh, she kind of tilted it down toward her surface, her oh, cooking so surface. Oh, so she was doing it at the same time as you. Yes, were. she oh, cooks cool. with you. So as like at different points in the process, she'll like hold the pan up to the camera so you can see what hers looks like. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. Did what did you learn that you didn't know before? Um, I tried some spices that I'd never had. One of them is called asafoetida. Wow. And it's made from a rock. Really? <laughs> it smells like sulfur, um, but it's not black salt. Huh. Um, but it's, it smells like farts, straight up. It smells <laughs> like farts. But apparently it's used in every Indian dish other than desserts to act as a digestive aid, especially in bean dishes. Interesting. Yeah. And like when I bought it, the guy at the store told me that it didn't have a flavor, but it definitely does. And it kind of it kind of adds that like funk, like the kind of the stink of some kinds of food. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I do. Yeah. Like there's a certain smell yeah. that when it's in a savory dish is really good, but if you smell it separately from the food, then it's like not so nice. Right. Um, like how sometimes you don't know if you're smelling like 
a delicious cheese or bo or bo yeah. or like <laughs> feet you, right yeah. depending on the context exactly yeah. yeah but it's it's those kinds of thing that things that i think make it taste so much more authentic because every time i make indian food at home just following a recipe it tastes like white people food yeah and it was nice to like make something That's that tasted so cool. authentic this week on Recipe <laughs> Rehab, we'll be talking about French toast. I like to do this radio voice because it makes me feel cool. It's like nighttime radio host. Very <laughs> like <Delilah. soothing. laughs> I love Delilah. Hello, listeners. Do you know French toast? Okay. <laughs> so uh, French toast was the thing we were going to rehab this week. And we had a success and we also had some things that we learned. Uh, <laughs> Put but it we nicely. Had, we had fun along the way. We did, yeah. I'm so glad I'll, you made so much of yours. Yeah, I, I thought it was too much, but it turned out not to be too much. It was really good, mm-hmm. I thought. It also. was very good, yeah. So um, French toast, usually the non-vegan version, is you soak bread in eggs and cream, basically, and then fry it on the stove. And it gets a nice crust on the outside and is nice and soft and tender on the inside. So that is a little hard to replicate with vegan ingredients. But what I did is I just took a regular vegan toast, or sorry, a regular French toast recipe that was not vegan, and I substituted vegan things for it. So this called for milk, which I substituted soy milk for, called for heavy cream, which I subbed for um, sweetened condensed coconut milk. Mm-hmm. So I think the heavy cream is just to add fat to it. You could probably leave that part out. And then it called for eggs and egg yolk. And I swapped just egg for that, which turned out to be a fantastic substitute. It really cooked up in a nice in a nice way. And um then it had cardamom, vanilla, and it was supposed to have lemon extract, but I didn't, or sorry, lemon zest, but I didn't have any lemons. So I did orange zest instead. And it turned out to be delicious. It did. That was my favorite part of yeah, it, it was, was really the orange good. zest. So I got some big uh, white bread from the grocery store. Big white bread. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It was a big, giant loaf of white bread. <laughs> I cut it into inch-wide slices. <laughs> I made the I made the sauce, the bread sauce. <laughs> I soaked the bread in the bread sauce for half an hour and then fried it in some Miyoko's butter on the stove. The first one I burned. So uh, then I cooked it for less time after that. And it was really good. I think the just egg made a nice crusty outside to it. It was... I don't think anyone would have been able to tell you that it was vegan French toast. Oh, yeah. The butter yeah. the butter was salty and delicious on there. And then maple syrup and blueberries. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. It was so, really good. Highly recommend. Yeah. It, it felt to me like that classic kind of fancy brunch food sure. that you order. Yeah. Better than diner french toast for sure thanks you're welcome it's because of those extra ingredients you added the cardamom and the orange zest and it didn't have any salt in the marinade so i added half a teaspoon of salt also okay because 
you always need salt with your sweet things to balance it out. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Especially Otherwise since, you need more sweetness. Yeah. And yeah. especially since I did, I added the sweet and condensed coconut milk, which mm-hmm. has a lot of sugar in it mm-hmm. instead of cream. So I added a little salt to yeah, it also. That's smart. And the orange zest was, was really good. It was great. Yeah. yeah. So follow Kevin's advice. <laughs> um, I tried to make a healthy version with whole wheat sourdough, which was so dense, it's the kind of thing you well, would you want to put in your bowl of soup. You didn't have any control over that, really. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I think even if I had been using a big white loaf, as you <laughs> put it, um, I still don't think it would have been good. So I just tried, I just took like a classic French toast recipe and uh, subbed aquafaba for the eggs and then flavored the aquafaba with black salt and nutritional yeast and that smelled right it smelled like french toast batter but it didn't form the crust well it did form the crust on the pan but it got stuck and ripped off as i was flipping it over well that could have had to do with you have a really like a really good nonstick pan i do mine is only pretty good it's not as good as yours i don't think i i'll probably try it again but it's also i don't know i don't like doing recipes and then telling people you have to have a really good nonstick pan or this isn't gonna mm. work you know yeah so maybe that wasn't it then maybe it wasn't the pan maybe it just didn't look long enough before you tried to flip it i don't know i think with another type of bread it would have worked just fine maybe yeah, yeah. I'll definitely try it again. Yeah, you should. Because I think there's something to using aquafaba. Yeah. I think what happened was the juice was just on the outside of the bread. Yeah. And then it all got stuck on the pan and ripped off when you turned over or something. I think if it had been throughout the throughout the, the slice of bread, it would have been good. Okay. We'll see. You know, I'd never seen a French toast recipe that has you soak the bread in the stuff. Oh, that's all that I knew how to do. Really? Yeah. Whenever I made it with my grandma, she would just dip it, like cover both sides and then right into the frying I, pan. I don't like French toast that is bready in the middle. That's fair. I like it to be I didn't know gushy. there was any other way. I like <laughs> to be gushy in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's the, kind, that's the kind that I grew up with was soaked and... I know exactly what you're talking about. One of those big, puffy French loaves that yes. my mom used to get at Publix. Yeah. They're like a baguette. But before, huge. Right. But like, like if a baguette 90s, was cotton candy. The 90s American version of a baguette. Yeah, right. If French toast was the thing that you were missing and the thing that is keeping you from being vegan, you don't have to wait. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Join us next time as we talk about endometriosis, nutritional yeast, and we make falafel. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Our Plantiful Kitchen. And if you enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe, leave us a review, and share this podcast with another plant-loving or plant-curious friend. Now let's, now let's get eat cooking. Some- <laughs> That's right, let's eat some plants. A Secret Weapon Production.